Hello friends, I am Chris Chavez, and welcome back to the City of Smack podcast. This is my show where I chat with some of the biggest names on the track, on the roads, within the coaching ranks, and across the running industry. Our guests sit down and open up in-depth to share brilliant insights and vivid snapshots from their professional and personal accomplishments, as well as their experiences within the sport. Today's episode is presented by Tracksmith. Tracksmith is an independent running brand inspired by a deep love of the sport. For years, the brand has elevated running wear using the best in-class materials and timeless silhouettes that perform at the highest levels. Well, now they're doing the same with footwear. The Elliott Runner was developed to meet the rigorous demands of committed runners providing the perfect balance of cushioning and responsiveness with the classic Tracksmith style. The inspiration for the Elliott Runner started with the feeling that many runners experience, the delight in finding a natural surface while out for a run. Logging thousands of miles across New England, the Tracksmith team found those moments on pine needle trails, wood chip paths, and old indoor tracks. That's the sensation that they wanted to bring to the roads. Soft, resilient, responsive, and ready for anything. So step into the Elliott Runner. It's a PBAX power trainer inspired by the pep of New England's natural surfaces. See the Elliott Runner in person at Tracksmith's pop-up locations at the Chicago Marathon and at their Boston store this fall before an exclusive opportunity to pre-order them on October 24th. For more information, visit tracksmith.com slash Sidious. It'll redirect you to all of the information about the Elliott Runner. And when you shop around on Tracksmith's website, use promo code SidiousMag for free shipping and 5% of your sale will go towards the Release Recovery Foundation, a nonprofit supporting those in need of substance abuse and mental illness treatment through scholarships. Before we get into today's episode, I also want to thank all of our backers on Patreon who keep us going strong. With your support, we're able to plan for on-location coverage at races. It helps us with travel costs, helps us with website and podcast expenses, helps us with editing across all the different shows on the Sidious Mag Network. You can see all of our work on YouTube, this podcast feed, Instagram, Twitter, and of course on SidiousMag.com. A big shout out to Lane Weber for signing up within the past week. And if you want to join the club, sign up today at patreon.com slash Mag. We've got people donating anything from a dollar a month, and we even have some people who contribute 20 or 30 bucks a month. And for those of you who are unable to commit to a monthly contribution, you can also make a one-time donation by sending any dollar amount over to Sidious Mag on Venmo. You can consider Venmo like a virtual tip jar. If you chip in, attach any message you want, and we'll shout it out on the next pod. Like, for example, shout out to Nate Valleyman for the contribution and writing in saying that the podcast pushed me through the Chicago Marathon build. Thanks for the content. Go out and give them your all in Chicago, Nate. I hope you have better weather than I did last year. It's a great course. Enjoy the day. Last but not least, I'm grateful for all of you who take a moment to shout out the podcast on your Instagram stories and on Twitter. The athletes and guests also appreciate the love, so tag us and we'll be able to thank you accordingly. And if you haven't already done so, consider leaving a little rating and review on iTunes' Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Thanks, everyone, for your continued support. My guest for this episode is someone who I've been following and admiring from afar for a while now within the New York City running community. I met up with Erica Stanley Dotton, who is a mother of two, a wife, and runs with Black Roses NYC. She is a producer and also works as the Tracksmith New York City Community Manager. And at 48 years old, she just ran 252.05 for a huge personal best at the Berlin Marathon. That time makes her the 25th Black American woman to break three hours in the marathon since 1973. 
It's a list that started being tracked by Ted Corbin and is now upkept by his son, Gary. So we discuss her running career from the sprinting days at Georgetown to what eventually called her to the marathon, which started off as a fun hobby for her in the mid-2000s, eventually led her to join the Black Roses and coach Knox Robinson in New York City, which has since elevated her training very quickly, and she pushes herself daily with the support of other strong black women in the group. So we talk about how she managed to do it all and the inspiration that she serves to other women within the community. Enjoy this conversation and catch her during the New York City Marathon. Without further ado, here is Erica Stanley Dotton. Erica, I'm excited to finally get the chance to chat with you. Uh, you've definitely been sort of someone I've watched from afar and just admired seeing you just drop in times and PRs. So first off, congratulations on the huge PR and you. you know making a little bit of history um, out in Berlin. How are you feeling? Thank you. I, I actually feel really good. I feel great. Um, since the race, I've been you know traveling around a bit. But, you know, back in New York, I physically feel great. I'm happy. Like, this is, you know, it's a good, good post-marathon situation. Yeah. <laughs> we, know, we, know, we know it's not always the case, right? <laughs> so. so in Berlin, you run this huge PR. You're back to, to running. New York is also on the calendar for New you York too. is on the calendar. You know, I'd always pla- I'd planned to do the double, um, you know, all year just because I haven't run New York in a while. I miss it. I love it. That's my favorite race, obviously. Um, so, yeah, New York's on the calendar. You know, I was talking to my coach, Knox, and I said, oh, you know, I may just, you know, run New York for fun. You know, he was like, no, we don't do that. We're going to race <laughs> it. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So I'm <laughs> just trying to, you know, I, got, I, got, I took my week off, and now I'm just jogging around trying to get, you know, back into it. Yeah. So in my research and kind of looking into just a little bit of your, your track record, yep. your first marathon was New York. It was New York in 2008. Yeah. Yep. yep the first what do you remember about that day? Oh, man. It was, I mean, my entire family and friend group was just out on the roads. Like, it was amazing. Like, you know, it was such a big deal. They they were shooting video. I mean, everybody had on these t-shirts. Like, it was one of those kind of situations. So it was a great day. Like, I went into it, trained myself, you know, downloaded a program off the internet. You know, I was like, oh, I'm going to run under four hours because that's what everybody does for their first marathon. I'm yeah. going to run under four hours. But then, you know, I didn't, I had no idea what I was doing. Like, and so my, my longest, I, I did a couple 20 milers, but other than that, like, you know, so I get out there and I'm like, oh, I'm an athlete. I can do this, you know? And it was so fun just to run it. I mean, but by the time I got to Fifth Avenue, I remember I was just like dead and like, I was like, okay, just finish. But yeah, it was so fun. Like I really enjoyed that experience. And I was like, oh, this, it, it definitely got me hooked for sure. Yeah. But that's your first marathon at what, what age was it? 35? I was 35. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much life before that. I want to kind of like, 100%. you know, go over some of that. You were a sprinter in college. Yep. We talked about this a little bit before we started recording. Yeah. So how did we get to this point of, you know, doing 26.2 miles for, for fun at first? <laughs> I, know. I cheered someone who was doing it. We were just talking about this. I watched a friend, a good friend of mine. And, you know, I would run for fun. Obviously, I was a sprinter, you know, all through my 20s and 30s, I would just run for fun, right? Just to stay in shape. 
It wasn't until I started running with a group of friends, just like casual in the parks and stuff. And one of us, one of the guys was training for the New York City Marathon. So it didn't even occur to me. So like, and I was like, oh, that's cool. So it was really out there cheering for him that day after I'd seen him run and like train and like been part of it, the whole thing. And cheering from that day, something just clicked. I was like, oh, that is so cool. Like all those runs and like now he's out here and like all those other people out here. This is wild, you know, it's a different different sport really right like I mean track is its own thing but like that spirit and just like the New York City Marathon and the energy I couldn't believe how many people different kinds of people were out there running doing this mm-hmm. like that's what struck me I was like oh so then of course the athlete in me was like I can do that I'm gonna yeah. do that you know so that's how I got kind of hooked on, on marathoning <laughs> take take running out of the equation yeah. life at 35 where yeah. are you I was working, I had my own consulting business, so I was busy traveling all over. I worked in sports and entertainment, um, specifically with like NBA players and their charities. And so I was doing events at like NBA All-Star and like, you know, all over. So it was a lot of, it was busy, travel single, you know, living downtown Brooklyn, you know, so this marathoning was kind of like, oh, you know, popping out, do my runs alone, you know. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it, it's interesting because it was months before I actually met my to be husband. And mm-hmm. so like, and then life changed completely, but yeah, it was like kind of like the culmination of my like single life in New York city, single life, you know, <laughs> which worked, worked out obviously. So you were a sprinter at Georgetown. Yeah. What was sort of like your, your focus there and like how, how far did you want to take, you know, the sport and what was your relationship like with it? You know, after college, like I loved, I mean, I loved running. But after college, I was a little beat up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just just wanted to do something else with my life. You know, I wanted to work. I wanted to, like, you know, I felt like college, you know, c- college at that, at that level, you know, in collegiate sports, it takes a lot out of you. You know, it's like you don't have the regular college life that everybody had. Like, I didn't have a job. I didn't have, you know, things, you know, I watched all my friends, like, you know, kind of figuring out what they wanted to do with themselves. And I did feel a little bit behind in that mm-hmm. way. And so I guess I didn't want to, I mean, competing and and going on to kind of like try to make it on the circuit and like Olympic trials and all that I just it was it was tough you know decision but I was just kind of like I'm ready to do something else now yeah so mother of two yeah also on sort of this super impressive (laughs) resume how do you balance all this stuff Oh man, I mean, people ask me that all the time, and I, I mean, my answer is like, don't really. I just, <laughs> I try. You know, it's a lot. It's, it's definitely something that, it's a constant work in progress. You know, it's busy all the time. You know, it's constant juggling. But like everybody's busy. You know, it's just something sort of thrown into the mix. You know, my kids are older now, so nine and eleven. Which you know, when I started running, doing this, like training and being part of a group. They were five and seven, so, well, no, nine and 11, yeah. So, you know, it's been a few years and they've kind of gotten more mature and like I can, you know, go out for runs and not have to worry about a babysitter and like they can be fine for an hour at home, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's been a game changer, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah, like just watching them grow up and like see me doing this and my husband runs too, but yeah, like somebody said to me one time, like me coming home from a 20 mile run and like plopping down on the couch and just being like dead for the rest of the day, like I love that. Like you know, yeah. they're they're gonna remember that. You know what I mean? Like just in terms of like what it takes to you know if you're pursuing something, you know. And so I, I I'm proud that they're able to to watch that. Yeah, I was gonna ask sort of like your dedication to this craft is something that like even I mean for you to run this fast at your age mm-hmm. and and for them to have this front row seat to seeing mom come home from that like. They're witnessing something that's a little superhuman. Yeah. Do they understand sort of like what you have accomplished and why you do this? No, 
They have no idea. Like, you know, they have zero idea. My husband tries to impart it on them, you know, every once in a while. But, like, they're, you know, they're like basketball, little basketball players. They're like, uh, eh, running. I mean, they know I do it. They know I'm excited about it. They'll get excited about it sometimes if they're out there. You know, they love seeing me. But, like, generally speaking, they have no idea. They have no idea. And, but I know they're going to know it later. You know, yeah. like, I know that when they grow up, they're going to remember all of this because I had the same. Like, my mom, mom ran, man, and she didn't run at this level. But, like, you know, just remembering what your parents did, you know, and, like, I'm constantly reflecting on that as an adult now, as a mom, you mm-hmm. know. It's like all these little seeds we're planting definitely come out, you know, later yeah. on for sure. It took 10 years to be cute. Yeah. What do you kind of remember about sort of that long process to get there? To be honest, I didn't even know what a BQ was in 2016 or 17. Really? I, as a parent, as a preschool parent, like had a group of friends, one of, them, one of whom was a runner. And he was the one who was like, I had run New York. I had come back after having kids and all that, ran New York again. And he was like, oh, you should try to BQ. And I was like, what is that? He's like, oh, Boston Marathon, you have to qualify, explain the whole thing to me. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm such a, I'm so competitive. It's just like, oh, I could beat you. Like, why? So 2017, New York, I ran. I broke it four hours finally, 356 I ran. So then I was on this mission to BQ in the spring, right, for the following year. So I ran the New Jersey, I trained myself, I ran the New Jersey Marathon. And at my, for my age group at the time, I think the qualifying was like 345 or something mm-hmm. like that. I was like, oh, I could do that. That's like 10 minutes, right? And I trained myself. My husband was out there with the boys. They missed me at like mile 18 with my fuel. I was like dying. And like I crossed the line at like 345, 20. So I BQ'd that year. Uh-huh. And everyone laughed. They're like, oh man, if you didn't BQ, that was going to be bad for Howie. I was like, yeah, I would. <laughs> so then after that happened, that was April 2018. That's when I decided to figure out like a coach and figure mm-hmm. out it you know I wanted to run with people I wanted to elevate I, now I'm on the path I'm like I'm gonna I'm gonna run Boston I need to get serious about this you know so and that's when I actually ended up at Roses how I ended up at Roses before that when you would show up to these races I yeah. know like you know for a lot of people their entryway into the sport is downloading a training plan and yeah. just kind of sticking to it and finding what works for them yeah. but you would show up to these races like and be with with the masses what was sort of like your 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 goal at some of these you know New York Roadrunners, yep. there's a race every single weekend. Yep. yep. And what was your, were you just trying to run the fastest you could or see? Fast as I could, yeah. I didn't really have a sense for yeah. what I was supposed to be running time wise at all. Like, I wasn't even paying until the whole BQ thing. Like, I didn't even know, like, you know, PRs for me were like just as fast. Like, and really, even now, it's like, you know, you're running faster than you did last time. Like, mm-hmm. that's the goal, right? Like, whatever the goal, the big goal is. I mean, if I can get out there and run faster, then I'm happy, you know, yeah. um, than the last race, you know. So now, that presents a whole other, you know, problem. Because I'm like, oh, does this mean that you have to run faster every time? You get yeah. Out there? I'm like, <laughs> so, yeah, it was, I think just, I was just kind of racing out there. And I like to race. I mean, I will say that. Like, mm-hmm. I enjoy that. And I, I talk to people all the time who don't necessarily like to race. You know, they get super nervous or, like, I love it. I love mm-hmm. all of it. I love competing. I lo- you know, for me, that's the fun part. You know, the training and all the other, you know, that's the hard work. You yeah. know what I mean? The racing is, like, that's the fun, you know, so... This show is presented by Velis Recovery Footwear. Velis is an active recovery footwear brand designed to help you restore, revive, and re-energize before and after you train. 
After two years in development, this team has created the world's most comfortable, supportive, and lightweight active recovery shoe in the world. We talk a lot about high performance and training on the Sidious Mag podcast, but I want to take a second and tell you about something equally important to performing your best, and that's recovery. This is something that I've learned over the years, and I can't stress it enough. Take the time to recover properly. One recovery trick is to make sure that you're putting on the right footwear after your run because your feet take a beating, whether you're training or you're racing. And a new brand that Kyle and I have discovered over the last couple months is Velis Active Recovery Footwear. This brand was started by three athletic footwear industry veterans that really know what they're doing. They created what they call Tri-Motion Underfoot Technology that cushions, supports, and flexes in all of the right spots and is engineered to let your feet heal faster and better. Plus, these shoes are so lightweight. I've been wearing them for a while now and absolutely love them. I rock them to and from a track workout. Kyle puts them on after races. Velis Active Recovery Footwear should be in your footwear mix and part of your plan to perform at your best. So check out Velis Footwear at velisfootwear.com. That's V-E-L-O-U-S footwear.com. Grab a pair today and get 20% off with discount code SIDIUSMAG20. Use capital C and capital M in that discount code, SIDIUSMAG20 at checkout. Now you can experience what recovery footwear should feel like. The Sidious Mag Podcast is also presented by Final Surge. No matter if you're an athlete or a coach, Final Surge helps plan and attain both short and long-term training success. Their free online training log is compatible with Garmin, Strava, Polar, Stride, Koros, and a slew of other apps and devices. If you're a coach, Final Surge makes planning and analyzing workouts super simple and helps streamline that communication between you and your athletes. Some of the top coaches in the world who have been guests on this show use it on a daily basis. If you're an athlete out there hammering out miles and tempo runs solo with no guidance or direction, Final Surge is also here to offer up some world-class training programs. Get yourself a training plan for that fall 10K or that half marathon or that full that's on your calendar. They've got plans from NAZ Elite. You can hit some classics with Greg McMillan or Boston Marathon champion Andy Burfoot who are on there as coaches. If you're a fan of the sport and are curious how the pros are training, Stephanie Bruce and the rest of the NAZ Elite squad share all of their training logs on Final Surge. This is your chance to look at Stephanie Bruce's preparation for her Grit Tour finale at the New York City Marathon. Give it all a look at finalsurge.com and use code Sidious for 10% off plans and coaching subscriptions. I can't recommend it enough. Finalsurge.com, code Sidious for 10% off. Back to the show we go. When you show up to these races, especially here in New York, yeah. you look around and yeah. everyone's got their crew yeah. or their club that yeah. they're repping. Yeah. When you decided to join the Black Roses, how did that go about and how did you establish sort of that connection? Because one, I think like do stand out because they do have some of the coolest uniforms and swag. Thank you, like, thank you, we try. <laughs> <laughs> and I definitely was attracted to that. Yeah. You know? like, yeah. I mean, you know, I've been following along, you know, here in New York, like once I got wind of like, it was probably like around 2016, 2016, 17, when they were, you know, it was big, it was a lot of the mm-hmm. women running and they were running fast and like Knox and like, so once I started following him and then following Black Roses and just, you know, along all the journeys, I was like fascinated. I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, yeah. you know, the fact that this collective was out here doing that, you know, and obviously him, you know, as a coach and like, I was like totally fascinated by that and like, as a runner coach, he was running himself and like, mm-hmm. you know, it was part of the whole hype era, the four, 20, you know, watching the whole uh, 4% movement yeah. and like Martin and like, I was like, oh, and you know, my other 
passion and love is like gear and like yeah. I love fashion and so like I was just kind of mesmerized and enamored with all of that but the, you know but the other side of it was that I could see that they trained like and they and that was kind of how I went into it. I was like I'm trying to get faster mm-hmm. so here's where I think I need to be and so that's what made me like just like take a gulp and head out to open sessions and that's how I met everyone yeah well there's it's sort of it takes another sort of step forward to be okay I'm gonna get serious I'm gonna join a you know a training group or a club yeah it's another to join the Black Roses because I guess like yep. from my recollection of some of those workouts, it's like three or five by five K on the track. Yeah, and man. It's like, it's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> it's not, it's so not. what drew you to that part of it? I was into it. Like, you know, I still am. We laugh about all the time about like, you know, when people come into the group, like, you know, you with it or you're not with it. It's not for everyone. It's not, you know, the, the, the culture of the group is not for everyone. Like, I think I was so focused on the training aspect as number one and so I wanted that I wanted the elevation of that because I didn't know anything about marathon training really mm-hmm. I'm just you know kind of floating around doing my own thing and I off of apps and you know that kind of stuff so the workouts and stuff were most intriguing to me you know and I would read you know all of his like you know he would write a lot more back then like about what they were doing and they were upstate and they were in Beacon and then they were in Mexico and like you know it was just like wow like so I think the training for me was the main thing so that's why I was able to kind of you know melt but like you know it's still intimidating like here I am I show up and I'm like you know everyone's kind of like you know Jaggy and Danny and everyone's just like yeah hey what's up like you know and it's like (laughs) hey so it was definitely funny and like weird but like it was totally me because that's the kind of stuff I do and so like now reflecting on it four years later I'm like yeah of course I was going to show up to that there's a a part of it too that Knox kind of weaves in the storytelling side of things that makes things a little less daunting I would say it's like maybe here's this workout I got it from Herman Silva who did it from the New York City Marathon or this you know coach in you know Patrick Sang in Kenya and he's been exposed to that kind of stuff so in that way too like I think one cool aspect is you were also learning about the the higher end of the sport at the top level so what did you make of having your eyes opened a little bit more because even as a sprinter at Georgetown you know there's pro runners but on the it's it's a whole nother thing to be like oh that's what the pros do 100 percent. it was i mean i'm still learning i still learn i learn from him every day him every day but i just from this being in this game like it's like we are still you know learning every day about you know the the history the you know there's always a new workout there's always a new philosophy there's always a new person popping up with you know jewels you know and so I love that part of it but yeah like when I first came into the group like I you know I'd read about it but I didn't I've never done those kind of workouts right and like so the first time we did three by five k I was like what in the hell is this this is crazy but I was like, wow, I just did three by five K on the track. That's insane, you mm-hmm. know? And so that kind of just like elevated me mentally on a whole, to a whole nother level. And, and that's been kind of what it's been since, you know, even, I mean, we just did that workout, this, this build, which we hadn't done in a while. And I was like, wow, I can't believe we still do this. This is so yeah. crazy. <laughs> that's one of them. And then the Herman Silva sessions too. Like we did all those, we, you know, this, this build for Berlin was kind of like the oldie but goodie. Like, you know, we had a lot of, you know, we bought out all the, all the tricks and, you know, somebody asked me one day, they were like, um, can I ask you a question? We were at one of the tracks with the runs. They were like, what is a Silva session? I was like, oh, right. I'm just like out here on Strava talking about Silva sessions. Nobody knows what I'm talking about. So I had to like go through it. But it's like, it was cool the idea of like, you know, branding this training, right? From what we learned and like teaching other people, you know? And I think that's the ethos of the group as well, like sharing out ideas. And that's definitely a big thing for Knox. Did you have those moments in this particular buildup where 
there's a workout and it was you know the same type of workout you did in 2018 but now the times are so much faster what, what was that kind of like to reflect totally i mean yeah i mean even, even the three by five k is like you know i you know they're supposed to get faster right and like my very first one i was like oh, who knows but like yeah like doing it now versus then completely different i felt different you know i was much more confident i'm obviously more confident you know my training paces in general have gotten way faster. Yeah, it's just like when it's happening, it's almost happening and you're not even realize it, it's clicking, but like it's not until after it that when, you're, when I'm reflecting or I'm looking at Strava or if I'm like looking at the whole build as a whole, I'm like, damn, like that's crazy. Like, and, and I haven't even pulled up like old stuff just to look, but like it's wild. It's a wild, especially for me in my age, I came, you know, to them in my early 40s, like I'm still, you know, older than everyone else and it's like for me personally to see those jumps has been wild it's like i don't even know what to make of it honestly <laughs> when did the list yeah. get introduced to you the, the famous list that i guess like people have talked yeah. about a lot around your story is yeah. what, is the number 24 other aside from you 24 yeah. other black yes. american women yep. who have broken three hours for the marathon yep what do you remember about the first time that was brought up to you that what i remember is i i had met I had met a woman named, uh, well, after the 2018 Chicago Marathon, and um, two of my teammates who I followed along with too, Sharana Maddox and Danielle McNeely, um, you know, those were the two that I was watching from afar before I joined Roses, and I'm like, oh, I want to run with them, like, they're amazing, so fast, they ran Chicago that year, and there was a woman in that race named Ingrid Walters from LA, and she runs with a team called the Janes, she had run she was my age, she was older than me actually. She was like 47 or something at the time and she had run 247. And so that was the first time I was like aware of this whole sub three thing. And like Knox had been talking about it in term, under the, you know, Ted Corbett, Gary Corbett um, lens. But like I, it was the first time I kind of like understood that oh, this is a very specific thing. It was, you know, sub th first of all, at that time too, sub three wasn't even, I mean, I wasn't even like, I'm running, 330s, you know what I mean? 320, 330s. Sub three wasn't even, I just was like, okay, well, I'm, my teammates are going to do it and that's going to be cool. But like, it didn't really become a thing for me personally until much later. And this, so I think first hearing about the list was like something like, oh, that's an amazing thing. Like, I would love, you know, to see folks get on that list. I was not a part of that in my mind though, <laughs> you know? How, it, it's, there's a very poetic side to your particular story that it's this list, it's, it's a group that has multiple black, you know, female runners, it's coached by, you know, a black man, that it's just, it seems so, so perfect. I mean, how how important is that to kind of like the narrative that has kind of been drummed up around you? Yeah, it's it's so important because, you know, the narrative is, you know, obviously there's not a lot of women, yeah. you know, in the sport. And like, there's not a lot of black women in the sport and there's not a lot of black American born women in the sport performing and, 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 and performing at a certain level, right? And so that's been the thing. I think, you know, when I, when, when I became sort of obsessed with that idea that, that we're not just out here running and you know representing in terms of just being out here and like we're we actually are performance and we're, we're, we're based and like we're actually training and running fast and like i you know didn't feel like that was an elitist you know 
position or anything like that. I kind of felt like that story needs to be told too, you know? So I think we get painted into a picture where it's kind of, we get painted into sort of a picture where it's like, you know, oh yeah, black American women, we're runners, like we're doing this, but nobody thinks of us as performers, you know what I mean? Like really, you know? And so that was, I became more like sort of into that and like those stories and like knowing that they were out here. And like, so the list, being, you know, especially the women who have recently gotten on it or, you know, who are out there. I'm like, yeah, exactly. Like that's, it was more like, this is the way we're telling all of our stories, you know, mm-hmm. currently. And, and the history, right? I mean, the first one, Marilyn Bevins was in the 1970s, you know? And so such a, such a history of, of women breaking barriers, black women breaking barriers that it was, you know, almost more, it was bigger than me. It wasn't even about me being on the list. It was more about being a part of that. How long do you want this list to be? I mean, you know, it should go on and on and on. I mean, shoot, I mean, it'd be 50, 100 of us on there. Like, why not? Like, 100 women, right? Like, it's like, you know, 25, it's like, it's not a lot. But then, you know, is that a lot? I don't know. Like, I feel like, and I guess if when you're comparing it to how many of us are actually out there, you know, it's not a lot, you know? Yeah. And it, so I think I would love for everyone, and, and that's the thing about what I love, you know, just being out here and doing this is just like people feel... Like, I didn't feel like it was accessible. Like, I didn't mm-hmm. think I was gonna run sub three. Why would I think that? Like, that's crazy, you know? But I think what I've been able to do is, is kind of like inspire people, which, you know, I wasn't trying to do with any of that, but I, I feel good about that. Cause I, I just want us to all feel, and that's all women, that's all runners, but like specifically black American women, American born women, like we can do that. Like mm-hmm. training and, and running, like, that's how I came into this. I started because I wanted to train and I wanted to get faster. There's nothing stopping anyone from doing that, you know? And so that's kind of my messaging around it. Yeah, I remember right after the 2020 Olympic marathon trials, there's a big discussion over, you know, if you look at the start, the photo of that starting line, aside from, you know, some of the African-born, you know, American yeah. women, yeah. there was a huge lack of diversity. And when it comes to these races that you show up to, you know, weekend and, and, and week out, just sort of here in, in New York City, you look around at that starting line and there's still sort of a little bit of that, that diversity is missing. Yep. You can do a lot just by showing up you yourself. But what, you know, outside sort of factors that are maybe not in your control, yeah. what can be done to, you know, help rectify some of this problem? I think personally that, you know, a lot, all of these races, like a lot of these race companies and, you know, New York Roadrunners included, like, you know, when there's like lotteries for these races or like, you know, the world majors or like, I just feel like a certain amount of spots and like a, a large amount, when I say that, a certain amount meaning larger amount, should just be reserved and like given to women because we are not represented. I know there's women applying to run these races, but like, there's just not enough of us. And I, I, and I can't imagine that it's every woman who's applying gets in. But we should, because when you look in the corrals, it's like, where are we? You know what I mean? Like, especially, you know, the faster you are. And so I really felt that in Berlin, actually. Like, just, I mean, there's, I mean obviously, certain corrals and, and, and paces that you're going to be surrounded by, dudes, cool. But, like, I, the, the lack of women in that, those European races is stark. Like, it's very, like, and even here, like, I just think that, we, the, the companies need to do a better job of like being intentional about it, you know, yeah. um, in terms of like getting more women out there. Yeah. No, I know even like we were talking about crossing off the world majors, Tokyo is even worse. Really? It's like it's much fewer women. Yeah. And so, I mean, when you eventually get to that point and get that safe star, like it's going to, 
you're gonna be running i think solo for a lot a lot of time and i did that in berlin it's crazy like i and a friend of mine lives in the london who's in, with mm-hmm. roses as well and she said i think she's like, she was just saying that european races in general like she feels like are much more male heavy i mean here you they are too but like you see more, more women in general yeah. like running here um but yeah like I just think that's it has to be intentional, just like everything else, you know, with getting yeah. us access. Um, and on the race side of things, yeah. to kind of is it tapping into the communities and even just sort of like I don't I know like you being a sprinter in college, like there's got to, like it's typically that right, like being pushed to the shorter distance stuff. Yep. But seeing someone and the accomplishments you have, or even like on the professional side yep. of things, a Mariel Hall, yep. and like that they can thrive and do it on the track at the longer distances. Is there some educational component or just awareness that could be drawn? To? Totally. And we, I've, I've been talking about that for the last year, I feel like. I mean, I was prior to this, you know, Tracksmith um, stuff. I, I was a social impact producer for a Netflix film called Sisters on Track. And I worked really closely with a track club here in New York called Jeunesse Track Club. And Coach Jean Bell, who, you know, is pretty well known now, you know, who's a mentor of mine from when I was a kid um, as well. She's, you know, an example of a coach who's like paying attention to that stuff. Mm-hmm. They have, they recruit girls from five years old and so you know yeah every typically we're all pushed into the sprints because that's what little kids want to do also like nobody wants to run you know we want to run sprints that's more fun right but she actually has a you know she's been doing this for a long time but she can actually see where you know some kids actually do have the talent for distance and like well she'll push them in that direction and not let them just like fall back on the sprints and so I think you know, from an educational component, I think just from a coaching standpoint, like there has to be that, you know, willingness to like let kids do their thing. And like, I think a lot of the clubs have a good handle on that um, in New York particularly, but like, yeah, I mean, for little black girls, for sure, like we're typically, you know, sprinters until, you know, until otherwise, you know, until otherwise. So, but you know, I, 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 now being a distance runner myself, I'm like, well, I mean, Who's not to say that, like, if I was a kid, as a kid, you know, I ran cross country. I didn't, you know, as for part of training when I was a kid. But, I mean, who's not to say that I couldn't have been, you know, a, a middle distance right. or, a, I don't know, you know. But, right. like, now it's really just about education, I think, like you said. Yeah. I know. You find yourself now just with the success you've had at the longer distances <laughs> thinking, like, what if, what if I had been? I know, but I love sprinting so much. <laughs> I mean, I was one of those kids. I'm like, I don't, no way. Like, I mean, cross country was like hell. I was just like, I, my coach used to, in high school, used to have us running laps around Prospect Park for training. I always understood, I understood at a young age that that was going to make me stronger for the 400, but like, I love sprinting. I mean, it's fun, right? Like, yeah. it's short. It's like, it's over. It's done. <laughs> like, marathoning is wild. Like, it's out there. Like, forever you know yeah yeah so within the past year you've stepped into this uh community leader role with it with tracksmith here in new york what drew you to it so i'd been working with them you know for a couple years just on consulting did a couple like you know shoots and like you know producer i'm a producer also so like you know i had worked with them it's sort of you know i got to know them through knox um and he and i collaborated on a few projects for them outside of that and so then when this came up you know, they, they actually went to him and they were like, Eric, I want to do this. Like, and I, you know, I hadn't even thought about it. You know, I was kind of like still freelancing, doing my little thing, you know, on the side with kids and all that. But I was like, huh, that's interesting. Like, and I, you know, obviously it's not lost on me that at my, the point at this point in my life that to have a career opportunity and it's essentially my hobby, right, mm-hmm. is major. Like, I couldn't 
turn that down. And I love them all. They're great. It's a great company. You know, we're small. You know, everybody's pretty close. So it was a good situation, you know, to get yeah. into. If I'm going to go back into the, you know, kind of full-time space, like, this was the perfect, you know, opportunity. And, yeah, it was, it's been great. For you to stand in front of hundreds of people, <laughs> you know, telling them what the route is going to be and, like, that leading a group run, if we went back to 2008 and it's- told you... You were going to be doing that 2022. What would you have said? I still don't believe it now. Are you kidding me? Like, in two days, I'm going to be standing up there. I'm like, I, it's still weird. It's weird. It's like, you know, when I first took the job, in my mind, like, Knox, who right now lives in L.A., like, you know, I was like, you know, he comes back and forth a lot. But I was just, in my mind, I was completely, like, unrealistic about what this was. And I was just like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to. I'll probably just get like other coaches. You know, I'm not a coach either. I'm like a runner. Like, I just do as I'm told. I don't know, right? Like, I'll just get some other folks to do, you know, do the routes and they'll welcome the group. And I'll just kind of, and everyone was like, mm, you're the one who's kind of organizing it all. And so I kind of started leading them just to kind of get it in, get into it. And so it's still weird. I love it. I love it. I love meeting people because I'm obviously super social and like, I love meeting runners and from all over and just like I love seeing little groups of people like becoming friends like I'm like oh this is cool like this is what it's like to have like a run group you know what I mean like I never even thought I would ever ever do that like I said like I'm always people think by default that I'm doing up here I'm standing up here I'm an expert and I'm a coach and I remind them all I'm like no no I I do the routes and I these are just routes I run by the way like I'm around the city like I'm I'm training for the same race you're training for we're all in this together you know but it's been cool to kind of be you know my counterpart LB in Boston he's like you know we're I'm like we're like the camp counselors I'm Mm -hmm. like exactly like we're the organizers you know (laughs) everybody the running camp counselors so yeah it's been it's been very cool. It's been a very cool opportunity, and, I, and, and I'm happy and grateful to have it, for sure. The City of Smack podcast is also supported by Garmin. They dropped a whole new line of watches this summer with six amazing versions of the 4Runner. iRock, the 4Runner 955 Solar. It's got a touchscreen and a solar-powered watch face so that you can get some extra juice when you're out for a long run in the sun. It collects a ton of data outside of the hour or two or three that you're out for a run because it takes into account your sleep, recovery time, HRV, and stress to give you a training readiness score every day so you know how you just might feel before your next workout and ways so that you can improve that score so you can crush it. It's got incredible battery life that lasts for days. You will get the most out of your training and take things to the next level with the 4Runner 955 or 955 Solar. I've been wearing it for three months now and I'm still discovering new features and apps. My favorite feature is the morning report, which gives you an overview of the previous day, how you slept, what's the weather, what meetings do you have coming up, what workout is on tap. You can customize all of the information that's delivered to your watch each morning. It always ends with a nice note like, go crush it today, which is just what you need to get going. Visit Garmin.com for more information on the 4Runner 955 and the 4Runner 255 series that Runner's World says is more accurate than ever. Visit Garmin.com today. The City of Smack podcast is also brought to you by Article One. Article One is an independent eyewear brand on a mission to create athletic sunglasses that transcend sport. As runners, the designers behind Article One had never found a pair of technical sunglasses that matched their style, so they went out and made their own. Designed with your entire day in mind, Article One takes you from a long run in the morning to drinks on the patio in the evening. I saw U.S. World Championship marathoner Emma Bates rocking a pair as she trains for the New York City Marathon. I've been wearing them in my return to running, but I also just rock these walking around New York City. 
They don't look like your typical running sunglasses that you wear while you're just on the track or on the roads. They're for any social occasion as well. Just recently, they launched their new evolution of active frames. So they've got the Clifford, the H, Baron, Emmeline, and Moon. Check them out for yourself. They've got the look of the type of sunglasses that you pick up in a store in Soho, but that you can wear to your next PR. Article 1 is offering 20% off to Sidious Mag listeners with code Sidious at checkout. So go to article1eyewear.com and enter Sidious at checkout to save 20%. That's article1oneeyewear.com, code Sidious. I want to dive into this jump in the PR that you had because I'm sure so many people are interested in just how it all came to be. So 315 at the Philadelphia Marathon in 2019. Mm -hmm. Pandemic hits. Yep. And now there's this kind of split where people can take running in two different directions during the pandemic it's sort of like keep at it get serious ramp it up or take the route i did which is like be a little bit more relaxed <laughs> yeah. let your fitness go to you know go away for a bit and you're like yeah. i'll come back I'll to come running back. When, whenever it feels right yeah you chose the first one I which did. was like ramping it up i did what what was it about just running in that time that that really meant something i think you know i started out the year ironically, in Mexico with Knox and Maddox and, you know, a couple of other of us who were running, doing a training camp, right? Because we were thinking the year was going to go on. And so I started literally January, I left January 2nd. I was there for 10 days in the cabins, Herman Silva's cabins. We were doing, you know, all those workouts and everything that I heard about on, you know, on Instagram years before. So I think starting the year, having that experience and then shut down, it was like, okay, so took me, you know, obviously sent everyone for a loop, but then I was feeling like, oh, but like the, that, that experience wicked, awoke something else in me just in terms of like the next level of, of training, right? Mm-hmm. And so then it became, you know, stress relief, right? Like running outside, just getting away and like, you know, during this crazy time in New York City and like being outside and like no one's outside. And like, you know, I think I felt... Necessary, felt it necessary to be outside and just kind of see, you know, what was happening, but also for myself, just needed that. And then the third part, part I think, you know, through the summer, getting through the summer, um, going into like fall 2020, you know, I started, you know, when, with a lot of the protests and like a lot of the Black Lives Matter stuff going on, you know, I started reading a lot about the Panthers and like, you know, uh, Black August and sort of thinking through my own, my thinking about my parents, but also thinking about, you know, my own sort of politics and my trajectory in running and how that was connected to, you know, you know, one of the Black August principles is movement and like, you know, being healthy and like, and so I decided in August of 2020, I was going to run every single day. And I had never done that. I was like, I'm going to run every single day, no matter what, even if it's a mile, right? Um, And I did it. And I didn't get injured, you know, I didn't, you know, and so that kind of made me feel like, oh, okay, well, I could, because if you thought, if you told me I was going to run more than 50 miles a week, I'd be like, no way, I'm going to snap in two, right? But once I did that, and, and, you know, Knox and I were in close contact and talking about it, and he was just like, yeah, I mean, you could just start, you know, jogging and see where it goes and where it takes you and, like, how far you can, you know, push it. And so I just started running and, like, before I knew it, I hit like, and there was no races, nothing happening, but I hit 50 miles a week, and then I hit 60 miles a week, and then I hit 70 miles a week, and then, you know, through the winter, we were out there just like in the cold, 
and might have hit like 75. I'd never run that kind of mileage in my life, right? So now we're into 21, and I'm like, have all these, all these miles on my legs, and I'm like, huh, you know, I wasn't injured, I was fine, I felt good, and like, it just really made me want to take it further. Um, and it was almost kind of like a radical thing in my mind too, right? Like this woman, you know, in her 40s with two kids, like out here running high mileage, which I never thought I could do. Um, and yeah, and that's kind of what set me on this journey toward training at this higher level. And then that changed everything, obviously. So I, I, I started feeling, you know, my workouts started getting faster, right? My, my, my training runs, you know, started changing, like, you know, just doing that kind of volume. I'd never experienced that before. So, yeah, and so into 21, started doing a couple little races as things opened up a bit, you know, and I was like, oh, like, I've gotten faster, you know, and it was wild, because we were working, still working out, still doing our thing, like, solo, a lot of it was solo, but, like, yeah, that was kind of, like, the breakthrough in training, mm -hmm. um, and that kind of just, like, led me into, you know, all the other stuff. So you unlocked something physically for sure. One hundred percent. It shows London. You end up running three hundred seven. Yep. Boston three hundred one. Which like, if I run three hundred one in Boston, <laughs> I argue to friends that's a sub sub three on any other well, course. That, so <laughs> right, and in Boston, like you know, I don't. Nobody knows this, but like, because I don't, I'm not into like the recaps with yeah. what went wrong at all. But I'll tell you. I mean, like in Boston, even in London, like. In my mind, I had already broken three twice. You know, I bought in London that 307. You know, my hamstring pulled at like mile 20, and it was a kind of situation where I was like, I'm not stopping. There's no way I'm stopping. And I finished, you know, but it was not, you know, and I still PR'd. But so then that was one. And then getting to Boston, I was trained, I was ready to go. Somehow, you know, on the course, got dehydrated. You know, I made a lot of mistakes on that course. Like, I had too many caffeine gels, I think. I was just, like, dehydrated. It was, it was, the sun came out. Did not have on my shades. Like, all these little things that I real, that added up. So I had to stop a few times. And, like, so I still, I didn't pull up my splits from Boston until after Berlin. Really? I never looked at them because it was too painful. I, because I fell off right around, like, I was, I was on point, like, my, my, another teammate of mine ran together through 18. She went on to run 256 in Boston. And, you know, I ran the 301. I was obviously, like, massively disappointed. But I just couldn't look at my splits because I knew. I mean, I'd stopped. I was, you know, I was just trying to finish the race at the, at the end. So that last, you know, five, four miles. And so I just, I just couldn't look at them. And then it wasn't until Berlin, after Berlin, and I was just like, Look at those Boston splits. Cause now I'm like, oh, I already broke three. Now I can look at the Boston splits. <laughs> and I looked and I was like, wow, that's crazy. I had it until like probably mile 22, 23, which is yeah. crazy in Boston. Boston's a grind. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. So was it also during the pandemic? Because, you know, when we talked before, you were saying how the list, just like it never really occurred to you you could put your name on there it was more about being a part of you know the shared journey with some of the other women exactly and you know they can add their names to the list so when did you think it's a possibility i think when did i think it, i think after philly 2019 and then like philly was the first time i felt like i was racing a marathon and i was like oh this is fast like you know before i was running you know my 3.30 in New York, I was also waving around and acting crazy. But, like, Philly, was by myself, it was the rain. Like, the whole squad was down there. I was the only one running. And I was like, ah, you know, I'm racing. I'm running fast today. And so that feeling, I guess, was the when I felt like, oh, I could do it. And it's like we were having lunch afterwards, and one of my teammates actually said, she's like, oh, yeah, all the women on the team are going to break three eventually. And I was looking at her, I'm like, she's not talking about me. Like, But, like, that was just, just matter-of-factly, you know what I'm saying? And I think 
it kind of, you know, became like, oh, maybe, I mean, I ran 315 just now. Maybe I could run three, you know what I mean? Like it became, because I went from 330 to 315. So I'm like, oh, I'm cutting off 10, 15 minutes. Hey, maybe I could run three hours, you know, under three hours. So then that training block for London and Boston, though, you know, my pace is after the pandemic, after all that volume and I was still in it. I think once I started seeing my training change, like I was like, okay, this is, I could do this. This yeah. is, this is in re- within reach. Yeah. So Boston, you didn't look at the splits and just knowing how, you know, the post-race, yeah. Uh, you know, celebrations that occur after any of these marathons. You put in all this hard work, yeah. and then afterwards, you know, you're with your teammates, you can celebrate, you guys go out. Yep. So how did you, you know, kind of, did you keep that emotion inside of like, you know, I'm a little, dis- I'm, I'm disappointed. Yeah. And then like, at what point did you think, I have to, I get back to work to... Totally. Get- I mean, I was already back to work. Like I had said, after Boston, I was already back to work in my mind because I was just like, okay... I see what happened here. That was the race that taught me that the marathon, like, you know, we say it's very trite at this point, but like the marathon doesn't owe you anything, mm-hmm. right? You can be trained, you can be all the things in your head, but on, on race day, there's so many things that can happen. And so that race taught me that. So once I had that kind of frame of mind, I was like, oh, then it, it wasn't even about sub three anymore because I feel like I'd, you know, I could have done it. It was more about like, okay, well, how fast can I run? That was really what it was. It was like, how fast can I run? I'm like, I think I can run, you know, I can go a lot faster than 259.59. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and wh- how do we get there? It shifted my whole thinking about it, to be honest with you. And so, yeah, I just got back to work. But yeah, during that weekend, you know, my family was there. You know, I just started at Tracksmith. So that was the whole thing. And then Boston's their town. So it was cool because there were a lot of distractions, right? And like, <laughs> with everything. So that was actually good. Um, and then when I got home, I was just like, okay, yeah, we're going to. Mm-hmm. figure this out this spring and summer yeah towing the starting line in berlin mm-hmm. it's perfect weather did you feel it immediately like this is the day i'd been feeling like it was going to be the day for a little bit like i think my focus like i was mentally <clears throat> mentally i was into it mentally and like you know knox was laughing because he was teasing me because he was just like you have been, like, I was being, he, he says I was being super difficult for, like, three weeks leading up to me. He's like, that, that just means you're ready to race. Like, <laughs> like I was complaining about workouts. I was just, like, kind of, like, crabby and just, like, you know. And so he was like, okay, she's ready to race. And so I think I was just so focused. I was, like, very, I felt good physically. I was, I got to the line healthy. You know, there was no shenanigans over the summer, no hamstrings. I was, I was good. So it was that, it was, you know, all the things that took to get there um, to the starting line, you know, and I think just for the weeks ahead before I was a lot of visualization, I just felt like, no, I could do this. Like this is, you know, I knew it was going to be fast, um, a fast race. Yeah, I think I was just so focused. I was, distractions were just not even, that's how I knew because all the distractions around me were not even permeating. It was just kind of like, I don't have time for any of that. I have something to do. That was my thing going into Berlin. So when I'm on, you know, in this corral, I was ready to go, you know? And I like to race, like I said, like I was ready to go for mm-hmm. sure. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a good feeling to be ready like that. I love seeing Knox post screenshots of text groups on his Instagram stories. <laughs> yeah. So what was his sort of final instructions right beforehand? And then I'm assuming after the race, the group chat just lights up. Oh yeah, I mean, it was like, he was just like, well, he, t- he had told me weeks before, he's like, we're not going to talk about the race because we know we don't talk about the race until like the Thursday before the race. I'm like, okay. He was like, it's an experience. I just want you to tell you that. 
Berlin is an experience. It's not, it's not like any other race. It's, it's obviously very flat, wide, well-paved streets, like all those things that we don't, we take, we, we don't know. It's like mm-hmm. we're running here, right? It's just like, he was like, it's an experience. And so the, one of the tips, like one of the things at the pre-race dinner, he said to everyone, he was just like, 15, 20 minutes into the race, I want everyone to look at their watch. And that's your pace. He's like, don't freak out. Don't, if it's too fast, don't freak out. If it's maybe not as fast as you he knew we were all going to be running fast, right? And so he was like, that's your pace. And so you have it in your mind, like, oh, like I'm running fast and I'm going to keep going. And you check in again at, you know, nine miles. You check in again at 15, 16, and then you make some decisions at 22. Like, how do I feel? We going for it? Like, what are we doing? And so that, those are always, that, that was, those were the instructions. And I just did all those check-ins, you know, and it was wild. It was a wild. It was a blur almost. Like it's a wild experience that race. You know, it was just kind of like you know, I ran with my teammate for you know probably through halfway, and then when then I looked up and I was just I was zoned because I it was no one around that I knew, and I was just like you know, bros and like you know <laughs> trying to latch on to people and see you know how you do during races. It's just like yeah, it was a blur. It really was. It went by so fast. I was just like wow, like this is what it's like when you're just like moving, you know. And yeah. I got to twenty twenty. I had never felt like that at 20 miles in a marathon. Like, that was my, that was my, that was how I knew I was going to do well that day. Because I was like, I feel good, you know. Mm-hmm. I feel good. Don't freak out about that. Keep going. I got to 22, you know. And then, like, that last 5K is always tough, right? It's just like, just hold on, you know. But yeah, I'm already, like, ruminating about that. I'm like, oh, I just need to, like, some more fast finishes and workouts. Like, I need to figure out how to people fly by you at the end. I'm like, how are you running that fast at the end of a marathon? I'm like, what? Like, so now I'm already fixated on that. But yeah, it was just, it was an experience. It was an experience, like you said. When you see the time and the result on your watch at the very end, yeah. what's the emotion? I, like, was in disbelief. You know, I, you know, I was doing the math. You know, like, I got to 20. I was like, okay, if I get to 20, on, on, the goal was get to 20 and under 210. I got to 20 and 209. I was like, okay, so then you start doing the math. Okay, that's 6.2, if I just keep this pace. Da, da, da. So I had it in my mind, but then there was a point where I was moving and I was just like, oh, I think I could break 250. Like I can, but then like my body was just like, okay, girl, no, not today. Um, just finish the race, you're, you're doing too much. So I was just like, but I, you know, in my mind, I was doing the math, right? So I crossed the line, Knox was there, because he, he had been on the start finish line. And the, I, you know, the other thing is that he's always, that's the first, so only the second time since I've been on Roses that he wasn't running the race too. Mm-hmm. So in the very first one, my first race with Roses, which was New York, and he didn't run that. But he's always in the race or not there, right? So that was the first time he was there coaching. And so I crossed the line and he was yelling. I heard him on the finish straight. And I, and then at the end, he yelled for me and I looked over and I ran over to him and we just like both started crying. It was so emotional. I mean, I cried like four times before I even got my bag. Like, it was so <laughs> emotional. Just like, because we had been working on this, you know, and talking about this just for a really long time. And he was just so like happy and excited. So I was I. The list, Gary Corbett yeah. upkeeps it. Yeah. Have you been in contact or reached out? So I haven't, not personally. Um, Knox typically will update him. Like it hasn't even been updated. So Giovanna, yeah, she, my teammate Giovanna had had broken three in in, uh, Boston. So it hasn't been updated this year because there's another woman named Dyra Hansen out of DC who ran 259 somewhere this year. And so like the list will be, so I think, you know, Giovanna was 24. So, um, and I'm 25. So I don't think, yeah, so it has to be updated for 2022. So I'm assuming that's going to happen before yeah. the year's end, which would be cool. Is there anything kind of like you would 
ask or should it like because Ted Corbett was just a legend and, and he, he does such a Gary does such a good job of yeah. helping share his story and getting oh, it out there yeah so I mean is there anything that really sticks out to you about his story or that you're curious about Ted Corbett I mean I've been doing a lot of reading I mean you know I I was from so so familiar with his story I was also you know just through you know Knox and like you know work stuff too like you know this, the legacy of the New York Pioneer Club and like mm -hmm. you know all that storytelling around Ted Corbett and like the history of long distance running in New York pretty I was pretty plugged into that and so yeah I mean that's a whole other level of like pride you know just to be a part of something that big you know my high school coach my mentor you know is a guy named Fred Thompson who started the Colgate women's games and he was the coach of the Adams Track Club, which, you know, I ran for. And, you know, legends, Cheryl Toussaint, Diane Dixon, like, I mean, New York City legends he coached. And he was a member of the Pioneer Club. And, you know, a lot of people don't know that. And, like, Joe Yancey, who started the whole thing, was his mentor, you know. And Joe Yancey has a track named after him in the Bronx now. And so the legacy and, like, the, you know, the, the relationships and all that stuff run really deep with me personally. And so you know, being a part of this with Gary Corbett, you know, keeping like that, you know, I do want to talk to him eventually. I mean, I don't think I've ever even met, formally met Gary, you know, mm -hmm. so I, 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 pre I love that, you know, I want to, I, I'd love to talk to him, you know, one day yeah. himself. Yeah. You told the Tracksmith Journal that you don't want this sub three to be the end of your running story. No. So what do you want to do next? I mean, I definitely want to run faster. Um, I definitely... I, I mean, at this point, like I said, I wanted to see how far I can push this. You know, I don't know how many more I have in me, obviously. Um, but yeah, so I want to see how fast I can go. And also, like, you know, the collective and the group that I'm with, like, you know, watching these folks, like, chasing after their goals and everybody, like, you know, doing their thing is, like, so inspiring to me. And, like, and then also the community, like, you know, New York City, the running community is amazing. Like, and just all the friends and people I've, you know, met along the way and, like, now with this, in this job, like, I'm, like, so plugged into that now, too, in a different way than I had been before. So, I mean, the, the end of my running, you know, I can see myself, like, you know, even after I'm not running, I'm still going to be very much into in the sport somehow. Like, I don't, you know, I, I can't see myself coaching because I'm just, like, that, that's... So it feels like a very thankless job. <laughs> like Knox, I don't know how you deal with all these people, but you know, I think I, I'm just, I'm gonna still be involved somehow, you know, um, in the sport because I it, it's brought so much into my life. It's, it's yeah. So there's still a couple more, you know, black women on the roses who are mm -hmm. chasing after yeah. sub three. Yeah, right? yeah. So this New York in, the, in New York, Danielle McNeely. Um, who was like OG Roses. I mean, she's been around and she in the beginning was like, eh, I don't need a big three, you know, it's fine. <laughs> but she, something clicked in her this year. So she's going after it. You know, we've got another woman on the team named Uchechi. She's going after it. Like, you know, eventually. I mean, I think now it's become a thing, but you know, for us again, it's not even about the sub threes. It's more about like our collective mm -hmm. and like, you know, the training and the ethos and like, you know, our community and like, so it's like all of those things are leading to those fast times, you know what I mean? And like, that's really what we talk about. It's weird. It's like, yeah. no one talks about breaking three in practice or otherwise. Like no one, this is not what we do, you know? And so, yeah, we're, there's a bunch of us going after it. And, and, and I hope that other women in the, in the community, you know, the list one thing, but then also other women who are like, you know, people come up to me all the time and they're like, wow, like I feel like I can do it. You know, like I have a whole army of like masters women who are like, oh, like you're, you know, but they can do it too. You know, it's training. It's like, we, you know, we're out here, you know? So I think, I think that for me is like number one. Yeah. 
Well, Erica, I appreciate you taking the time for this and, and getting your story out there. My hope is that there is, you know, one other person who finds, <laughs> you know, this story, listens to this, reaches out to you and says, I want to show up to practice. Yeah. And then for you, I mean, I kind of, you know, whether that person's at 3.30 or right. 3.20, I feel like you see it as upon yourself, like, to be like, all right. I'm getting you faster. Yeah, yeah, no, I do. And I, I kind of do that now. I'm like talking trash. I'm like, oh, I'm not a coach, but like, yeah, I mean, obviously like you show up and I'd be like, oh, I think you should do this, you know, like, like, and, but you know, sharing the knowledge, right? Yeah. Sharing, sharing what I've learned along the way. Yeah, definitely. Erica, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That does it for another episode of the City of Smack podcast. Thanks for listening and supporting. If you enjoyed this episode, share with a friend, leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you want to contribute and support the show, you can also back us on Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash or send over any tip or one-time donation over to City of Smack on Venmo. You guys are all the best. Thanks for listening. Legs are feeling good. I'm Chris Chavez. See you next time.